Well, you can talk about films with a philosopher's zeal, or measure them all by box office appeal. But for once in your life, be real. Ding, ding. Welcome, one and all, to your film reviewing and often reappraising podcast. My name is Chance Solemn Pfeiffer. And, and in the red corner, the pride of Lawrenceville, New Jersey, it's Noah Ballard. How are you, buddy? Uh, sorry, I cut you off a little bit there. I'm great. No, that's all right. I'm great. I'm really... I wanted to let you get all that introduction out because uh, we were pretty concerned this morning that you weren't going to make weight. But after <laughs> wrapping yourself in uh, saran, wrap. saran wrap and uh, hitting the... Uh, the stationary bicycle for seven hours. That's why yeah. we had to go a couple days late on this one, right? That's right. Yes, that I couldn't make weight. That was me. I was a few pounds over. <laughs> yeah, but I'm glad to be here now. Uh, and if you haven't picked up on the references, what are we doing? The real Rockies? We were just we're men who bled for this. <laughs> we're doing three reviewing three movies today about. Uh, journeymen are slightly above fighters. I think an interesting way to categorize these movies, too, is, in my mind, the state of the boxing picture. Because <laughs> these are, I'm like, the three, the three biggest, like, boxing movies that have come out in the past, what, five, ten years? I don't know if that's true. What about Creed and Southpaw? I think oh, both Southpaw? <laughs> but I wouldn't want to waste my time with Southpaw. They're the three biggest. Uh, but Southpaw based again on is a true fiction. Story. Yeah, yeah. Southpaw's fiction. What was the other one? Oh, Creed. Creed. Which of course Creed is good. Oh, Creed is Creed is real good. But it's certainly fictional. Yeah, it's fictional. And He's I got think Creed's blood, and that's not real. Yeah, this is the state of the biographical boxing picture. <laughs> and what a state of the union it's going to be! What a grandstanding press conference this is going to be! Right? Do you want to like uh, talk a little shit before? We get into it. Chance, my... About, about what I'm going to do to you later in the show. <laughs> right. Chance, my arguments will be more potent than yours. <laughs> I stand by um, that. Before we get into Chuck, which is the new uh, film about Chuck Wepner, Bleed for This, the film from last year about Vinnie Pazienza, and The Fighter, the film from 2010 about Mickey Ward, uh, I want to talk a little bit about, about the boxing picture and sort of what a... What a curiosity it is. Right. Because Hollywood keeps making these movies. Yeah. They're like, and they're also relentless Oscar bait. I'm going to argue that they've become like basically a simulacrum for boxing. They have eclipsed and overshadowed and taken over people's perception of the actual sport, which is just this weird, like, brutal subculture now like there's two big fights a year the the thing so i'm a boxing fan and the weird ob- moment i had thinking about these movies was hollywood releases a boxing movie almost as often as there is a relevant fight in actual boxing right and that's crazy it speaks sort of poorly of both industries <laughs> yeah well that's the weird thing about boxing movies is that like i don't think i've ever watched a boxing match so it's like, but I understand boxing like as a sport because of the movies with which I've interacted. Right. Which is a weird, it's being like, I've never seen a baseball game, but like the natural and field of dreams are really like warm. So Chuck comes out, I think this Friday, which is May the 12th. Um, and coming up, we have our first contemporary feature film director guesting on the show, Philippe Filardeau. Uh, which is which is quite exciting. Who directed this movie? But let's synopsize the movie, just for a second. Um, I can do that if you want. I don't think I can. So you go ahead. <laughs> so Chuck Wepner is a a club fighter, a total journeyman fighter from Bayonne, New Jersey, in the seventies. And after Muhammad Ali's particularly brutal Rumble in the Jungle upset against George Foreman, uh, much like Rocky. Wepner is kind of plucked from obscurity. He's had a couple fights, um, but he was just sort of like fortunate enough to be 
pluckable for Ali. Um, and then puts up a, a gutty, bloody performance in a fight that he ends up losing, getting knocked out in the final round. Uh, but this sort of turns Chuck Wepner into this sort of regional hero in New Jersey. And uh, Rocky is based on him, even though he never saw like any money or sort of like an official credit for that. And so this movie uh, sort of starts before the Ali fight. The Ali fight happens maybe 40 minutes in. And then it's kind of like the aftermath of Chuck Wepner, played by Liev Schreiber, reckoning with this fame and how to be himself when the whole world knows him as an inspiration for a character. And he has a wife, Elizabeth Moss, uh, plays his first wife, Phyllis, uh, who he's He's a real philanderer. Um, and yeah, you see him reckon with infidelity and drugs and uh, just a, a very strange kind of fame. That's good. That's well put. I like that. But I think it's smart in that way that because you've seen him fight so early in the film, you you sort of root for him to like win other fights, even like with normal people. In fact, yeah, the whole thing is just like kind of the, the really the denouement of his life. Right. Is the is the back half of the movie. Um, anything else we should say before we throw to the talk with Philippe? Let's hear what uh, the director himself has to say about the picture. Okay, once again, uh, Philippe Filardeau, uh, who did the movie The Good Lie with Reese Witherspoon, if you know that one. And he was Oscar nominated for the 2011 uh, foreign language film. He's French-Canadian. Uh, Monsieur Lazare. And so those are his credits. He was a great guy. I got to talk to him in the midst of a bunch of people, and I, I tried to wake him up a little bit. So let's hear uh, let's hear this conversation. You don't know me. You don't. Chuck Repner. Well, you do know me, but you don't know you know me. Once upon a time, I was the heavyweight champ in New Jersey. I was the best. Hey, Kyle, set my man up with whatever he wants. Some guy named Stallone wrote a screenplay inspired by me. I was like, what? It's the real Rocky. I told you, you know me, the real Rocky. Everything's going to be different now, baby. Hey, Philippe, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm doing fine. You talking a lot of Chuck Wepner today? <laughs> yes, uh, and trying to be different every time. So I want to start with the Chuck Wepner I mean, the kind of the character and the man and what about his personality sort of separates him from most boxers we see in film and in real life. It struck me watching this and having read about Chuck that, you know, he's, he's so charismatic and, and funny and he was a liquor salesman and socially people loved him, which is, you know, that's not Rocky and that's not Jake LaMotta. And I wonder what it was like to approach, uh, you know, kind of the boxing hero who is such a kind of lovable man about town type character lovable is the key word here because when i read the script i didn't know about chuck webner and and uh of course there was just like this the fight with ali which was amazing and and the fact that he eventually it eventually partly inspired the the making of rocky but what really interested me was that he was this like folk hero back back home in bayonne right and the culture back then and also the fact that despite all the mistakes he makes uh, after Rocky comes out, uh, um, you keep liking him. Right. And you need to be extremely charismatic for that to happen. Because if I do a few mistakes, and people will stop liking me. But uh, and him, it, there, there's there's a force to be reckoned with there that I really found interesting and fascinating and that I wanted to explore. It was also linked. The other aspect of it was, was fame. I mean, it was a different brand of fame after the Ali fight than mm -hmm. after Rocky came out. Because after the Ali fight, it was still very much Chuck Webner. When Rocky comes out, it's, 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 it, then all of a sudden things become blurred. Um, because, like you say, Rocky Balboa is not Chuck Webner. Chuck Webner is a very confident man in life, still is today. Rocky Balboa, the character, is not a confident person. He's, right. he's struggling. He's, he's, he's uh, introverted, uh, mm -hmm. which is the exact opposite of, of uh, Chuck Webner. Yeah. I wonder, did sort of as a side note, did Chuck, being such a good-humored guy, I mean, and for people who follow boxing, he has this, 
kind of comedic reputation. Did that push you at all in including performers in this movie like Gaffigan and Jason Jones? Yeah, well, uh, when I read the script, I I I'm, I didn't think I was the right person. The next day, I woke up and I it stayed with me, and I had a, an idea of how to do this film, and how should I put it? I wanted the film to be uh, playful and generous. Yeah, yeah, that's a great way to describe it. And and it's still a drama. Some people, some guy called it in Toronto a a kitchen sink drama, which I love. I like that. Um, but it had to be playful because the character is, is playful. So yes, we had to use humor in, in comedy and, and Jim Gaffigan was a part of that. But I think the humor had to come more from the situation than the actual goofing around because we had to be careful not to, to be on a you know dangerous slope that would make all this very caricatured. The other thing is also... I had to cast like someone to play Stallone. How do how does the I, I was horrified, you know? I was, <laughs> how do you do that? I mean, right. this, there's such a suspension of disbelief here uh, that has to happen. Um, and and we were lucky enough to find Morgan Spector to 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 play uh, Stallone in a very restrained way, in a very generous way. So, Philippe, I was watching a just a clip on YouTube of you and Chuck and Liev being interviewed on some talk show. And I was struck by the fact that midway through this interview, Chuck whips out the story of the blue negligee of his wife saying, should I go to Ali's room or is he coming to mind? A story that he tells in the movie. And you know, he's told 5,000 times in his life. Um, And he just, you know, he pulls it out and the crowd just loves it. What's it like to be around him now? He's almost 80 and he's still just steeped in these stories from 40 or 45 years ago. We had a premiere in Toronto and late and, and three days ago in Tribeca where we invited Chuck on stage for the Q&A at the end. It was the best Q&A ever and then didn't have to say a <laughs> word because he just took the microphone and he entertained the crowd. He is really a performer. He's an entertainer. Sure. Yes, he, he uses the same stories over and over again, but it's that situation where we, we want the story we right. hear it from him, you know. Even though we know the story, it's not it's not the same because he 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 knows exactly what he's doing, and 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 it's like candy. We just want more. It's it's the same candy, but we want another one. <laughs> um, so you alluded uh, a minute ago to to casting Morgan as Sylvester Stallone. I'm curious what um. When you're making a movie that, you know, by virtue of staging an Ali fight and, and talking about Rocky is so actively in conversation with these cultural touchstones and these icons that so many people are familiar with, what's the most fun part of that? And what's the most stressful part of having to, you know, recreate stuff that everybody knows? It's fun when you read the script and it's fun when the movie comes out. Anything in between <laughs> is just stress. <laughs> all uh-huh. you can see is what the why did I get myself involved in that? I mean, the the pitfalls are so numerous, and 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 I was like I said, terrified by the idea of casting someone for Ali or for for uh, um, Don King or for uh, Silver Sister Stallone, and then staging the fight some, was something that was appealing to me because it was um, different. What from what I've done before, I, I've done intimate films in the past. Uh, uh, in terms of staging, nothing right. uh, too complicated. Um, and all of a sudden, y- you have to make this fight. And what I did, um, I did in my way. And I didn't watch any other boxing films prior to making the film. I had seen the other boxing films in my life, but I didn't want to be contaminated by the boxing mythology. People mm. don't, don't box in, in films like they box in life, and especially not from the, the 70s. You look at Rocky today, the film, you know, you look at the boxing scenes, I don't think they hold up that well. There's eight inches of air between the <laughs> gloves and the face. There is no inches of uh, no inch of air uh, between Pooch Hall's glove and Liev Schreiber's face. Right. It's also, I tried to stage a messy fight. Fights are not spectacular. There's a lot of pushing, grabbing, sweat, blood, uh, dancing around, um, a miss, 
Um, and so that's what we staged. And I was actually very excited about that. I was stressed because we had so little time and so little resources. But at the end of the day, I'm pretty proud of the boxing scenes. And I know some people came out and said, oh, I, the boxing is not like real boxing. And I, I'm, I defend, I'm defend myself. I say, I think what you mean is that the boxing doesn't look like boxing in films. Mm-hmm. I think it looks like heavyweight boxing in the 70s. I think that's a, a good distinction, too, because, I mean, you talk about how those such fights were messy. Chuck was a particularly messy fighter. Um, but you talked about uh, Liev and, and Pooch Hall uh, making contact in the 21st century. I mean, I feel like I've read this with a lot of like more recent boxing movies where, you know, whether it's Michael B. Jordan talking to Ryan Coogler and Creed or Russell Crowe and Ron Howard and Cinderella Man, there is like an interesting negotiation in these days when you're making a boxing movie of like, okay, I'm going to ask my leading man or my leading man's going to ask me if he can take some punches. What was that conversation like between you and Liev? It came very, very early. When I met Liev for the first time, I went to Los Angeles. We hung out for two days and we even watched a boxing match then on television. And I just turned to him and said, I have a problem with boxing scenes and films. I never believe them because I see the camera placement and the cut and it's uh, everything is like set up to hide the fact that it's not a real punch. He says, yeah, I have a problem with that too. Uh-huh. And I think I was going to have to use real punches here. And I agreed. So for that, he needed a partner. Um, we needed to find someone who plays to play Ali that he would trust. Because uh, the punch has to look hard but there has to be some restraint to it, uh, right. and Pooch was that man. Um, but he, poor Liev, I mean, his face was swollen at the end of the day uh, mm. because he took he took hundreds of real punches. Um, I remember the financier coming on on the set and looking at that and being horrified and wanting to stop the shoot. <laughs> Uh, because the insurance wouldn't go along with that. And I said, well, go talk to the big, to the big man, because uh, that's what he, you know, and when Liev, when Liev has something in mind, I did good luck trying to convince him otherwise. Sure. Um, was there was there ever a conversation of like, you know, at the end of the day, shooting boxing, Liev's like, Philippe, make sure you get this shot, because I don't want to get punched in the face again. Oh, yes. I, oh, no, at the end for him. I mean, uh, he was like, Every time I had to do, I'm sorry, I need another one. He would look, <laughs> Are you really sure you need it? Yes, yeah, I'm sure. And and then I would I, I would offer him, well, we can do it this way. So you know, no, 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 it's gonna have to be a real punch. And it's, he insisted on real punches all the time. But at the end, he was on his knees on the on the canvas. He was so so tired. Um, it was something uh, pretty uh, moving to watch, actually. That's amazing. Um, I wonder. Did, and did, There's something I want to point out also because yeah. we tend to forget how hard physically it is for for guys to go 15 rounds. Um, at the end of the fight, you see Chuck, of course, uh, hit the, the the floor. Yeah. When uh, the the referee calls the um, the technical uh, knockout, Holly goes on the floor also, mm-hmm. just exhausted, and that's what happened in life too. Um, it's a very demanding sport. In terms of taking a little bit of real punishment, was part of the genesis of that also, you know, needing to stay true to Chuck Webner? If there's one thing we know about Chuck Webner, it's that he sustained punishment. You could, probably couldn't work around that and make a convincing Chuck fight. In cinema, you can do anything basically because you, you could also use like uh, special effects. It depends on them. The problem was I had two days to shoot the Ali fight, so. Ah. Um, the, the, and we didn't have any resources to. to you know, make the hand connect with special effects, for instance. Right. So, so you had to choose something raw uh, for it to work, for sure. Mm-hmm. Also, mm-hmm. there's the the face, the prosthetics. Uh, we used a lot of prosthetics. I lost Liev like on average three to four hours per day in the chair. For the nose, especially. Yeah, the the nose, the the eyebrow, some of the cheekbones, and and it's not that oh, I wanted him to look like the real Chuck Westmer is that we wanted his face to look like it took some pounding from the 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 the, the most like uh, talented heavyweights of of the time which were like 
he fought Foreman and Liston and 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 uh, Terry Inky. Um, so this was the face of a man who had to have like taken a lot of punches in life. Right. One more minute, I'm being told. Okay, um, my last one then for you, Philippe, because uh, I specifically wanted to ask about the costuming, the coats, and the medallions that that Chuck wears. Because you know, at first glance, you're like, oh. That's perfect. That's vintage 1975. It's so in place. And then sort of gradually throughout the movie, you see also how like horribly out of place his like wardrobe can be when he like goes to the parent teacher conference and he's dressed like the night before and it's it's embarrassing. Um and I was I was sort of taken aback and and yeah, a little bit like moved by that of this guy who's all, like you know, just like in fighting, he's just kind of forging ahead. He's not adapting very well. I wonder, can you talk a little bit about the costuming? Yeah, um, it, it's it's um, it's easy to to try to when you stage the seventies or sixties to go all out and then you know impress with the production design and the clothes and the, because they can be cool and flashy and everything. I just wanted the clothes to talk about uh, the characters, and you're right. They can be cool, and then all of a sudden they are uncool because they're out of place, and and it it fragilizes the the character. And I like that. We we we're in the presence of a huge man. He's super strong, and then you use a certain uh, you pick a certain uh, clothes, and it makes him fragile, or it makes him lovable, or it makes him clueless, or it makes him powerful, or it makes him fun. Uh, he, when he he goes in the discotheque with a fur coat, I mean, this is it's but it's true, and it yeah. it, it it adds humor to the film. And later on, uh, the uh, a similar coat will add drama uh, because he's uh, he's clueless, and and uh, he, it makes him all of a sudden a bit uh, out of place. You're right, and and credit to the credit to uh, the costume designer. Uh, who was very much aware of that, but from the start we knew that we we didn't want to dazzle people with production design and costume, but to be talking about what's happening in the character's life at that moment. Well, I, I think you did a wonderful job, and Philippe, thanks so much for your time, and, and congrats on this movie. Thank you so much. Uh, it was fun talking to you. And, and you as well. Have a great rest of your day. Bye-bye. What are you that meets the eye, Chuck Sometimes life is like a movie. Sometimes it's better. Where do you want to go from here? Well, why don't? Because I have a feeling because you have the emotional investment of having spoken to the director and the fact that you have a soft spot for boxing pictures just as a genre. Why don't you start and like defend what I maybe feel are its deficiencies? Sure. Well, let me come out and say here, and maybe you can respond to this more generally first. Um, I think because of the things we talked about and how like this genre is so in the shadow of Rocky, what I really want from these movies, in addition to being much pickier, of course, than the average person about actors, box- boxing stances and such, um, is I really want them to get it like the the atmosphere and the weird idiosyncratic side characters that kind of hang around this dying blue collar subculture. I think these movies are really boring when they don't stray from the formula. And so what I like about this movie is that I really like the spirit of it and what it's set out to do, which is sort of just to like reclaim this marginalized story um, that's part of a larger story that we all know and it's sort of like to show that this this guy who was a salesman and was trying to figure out if he was a character or if he was a real person in his own life to kind of like show how he reckoned with that and like just what kind of flawed man he right. was and I think Leif Schreiber's really good at putting on this posture of kind of the how do I want to put this like the pre-ab the pre-six-pack tough man sure yeah, the dad, he's got like total dad bod. Mm-hmm. Um, where I think this movie is interesting is because you're right, it doesn't necessarily fulfill all the boxing movie tropes, but at the same time, it sort of like strives for what I'll call like an American folktale kind of feel to it. And I feel like all these movies are that. They're sort of these like tales about guys who persevered through seemingly like insurmountable odds, some self-imposed, some... 
you know, environmental. Um, but this one, like when it does sort of make that hard gear shift into now he's just like a sad guy with like groupies. It just sort of devolved to me from like a boxing movie, which again, like I really don't have any special place in my heart for. And then just sort of an okay indie drama about like sad guys. And I just felt like if you want to tell the story of this guy's life in my mind, it just didn't feel like the right venue in which to do so. Like this felt like you took the plot of what would have been like a 30 for 30 and you stretched it. It was a 30 for 30. Sure. (laughs) Well, perfect. But that's maybe where it should have remained because it just seems like there Mm -hmm. isn't enough story here that they have to like hang it on this love story with, we were talking about before we started recording that like Naomi Watts, who is essentially the love interest of the back half of the movie doesn't show up until like 45 minutes in and only maybe has three scenes. Mm -hmm. So that is kind of where like the second half is like, Oh, it's a love story. But I don't know that I bought enough of the, cause it wasn't like Sylvester Stallone, like dicked him over He's just like, oh, I want to make a movie about like, like you said, a journeyman sort of boxer of this dying age kind of thing in the 70s. And like this guy was a good example of that. I don't he didn't like option his life rights or anything like he was not owed any money. You know, he sure he's like the real life Rocky, but Rocky's a fiction. Yeah. So there wasn't enough conflict there for me to be like totally. Like, this guy wasn't dicked over. He just, like, had his 15 minutes and then, like, was kind of a schmuck. Well, okay, so I definitely hear what you're saying. I think I do think a problem is that, like, as this movie kind of winds up, all the conflict resolution is, is too easy. Like, why does Naomi Watts, like, really like him? Well, he's a nice, he's a nice guy. And, and why does he come to realize that he's not the real Rocky? Because he, like, sees Stallone. Well, he goes to prison. That, yeah. Oh, yeah, he goes to prison and he sees that, well, that's the whole, like, the the wink of the movie is that, like, one time you can call a coincidence, but two times, like, Sylvester Stallone is definitely ripping this guy's life off. Yeah, yeah. But they never really, yeah, so maybe, I think that's supposed to be the fool me once, shame on you, but fool me twice, shame on me kind of thing. Like, thinking he was a tough guy, you know, that, like, that he was going to have this second act like the second Rocky movie, but he wasn't. Right, right. So, but I think I think what's I I agree. Like that, the drama is is too is too easily solved. Like the solutions just dawn on him, and right. then everything's and everything's fine. But I think what kind of saves it for me is like the the depth in the sketching of these characters. Like I talked to Philippe at the very end about the costuming, and I was really moved by sort of like how garish. Like he just he was really bad at adapting to right. changes in his life and that really was true to the Chuck Wepner fighting style. He just kept coming forward and life kept punching him in the face and he did not know how to slip or dodge. And I think the character sketching is really good to the point where I sort of buy I did kind of buy the love story because he was just a guy who needed someone to help him see himself. Right. Well, they all and do. I th- yeah, and I think Schreiber's performance of that is really convincing. It was so great to see him like act acting badly. Right. And his, yeah, his that's a great scene. Insecurity is great. Yeah. There's a scene where he tries out for a Rocky movie and it like doesn't quite work out because he's like, a like really hopped up on cocaine and right. B like, he's not a very good actor. So, but that's like a heartbreaking scene. And that's, and like, I love that scene too, where like he's in the bathroom and he just like taps the mirror and it shatters. Yeah. Like, it's really, it's really cool just to show, like, how fucking strong this guy is. But that's all he's got. He's his physical strength, and he's, like, stuck in his own body. Schreiber's a really good actor. Oh, this and is, a, this is a, has an amazing been. performance. I mean, I think it's, like, as good a performance as, like, Mickey Rourke turned in The Wrestler. I like that, yeah. In but I ways. think this movie is not The Wrestler. No, no, it's not. It's not. Because that's the thing, it, like... It almost like it has to a movie like this has to have a fight at the climax of it. Like it can't it can't survive without it. Like the wrestler like had the same sort of thing. And I understand that you want to be true to real life here. Yeah. But like it could have had some kind of fight. It could have had a scene with the stakes as high as, say, 
Christian Bale and Amy Adams's reconciliation in the fighter. And it yes. doesn't have that. It needed that like little like thing at the end where it's just, you know, like jabbing a little or at least like holding itself in until like it has that moment where it can like punch you right in the face. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm going to have to say that this one is a soft, bad, bad. Oh man. I, I enjoyed watching it once. And I'm yeah. glad that it was made. I think it's a good, but by our ratings standards, I think it's kind of boring and I think it's kind of boring. I'm going to call it a soft good good. I think it knew exactly what it set out to do. It got the right people interested in this movie that was like a decade in production. And like it, it cleared its, it cleared its sort of like quiet journeyman bar. Fair enough. Yeah, a majority decision. That's boxing slang, Noah. I, I I could imagine that to be true. Anyway, thanks so much to Philippe Filardo. Absolutely. That was very that was that was a special moment we had. Chuck is out in theaters this month and on to Bleed for This. So Bleed for This is the story of Vinny Pazienza. Did I say that right? Yeah, yeah. And he like we start the movie begins with him like being an underdog right and losing a fight uh yes correct he loses a fight and then so his his life sort of spirals out of control and then he's set up with this new trainer Aaron Eckhart yeah Kevin Rooney Mike Tyson's old trainer Kevin Rooney Mike Tyson's old trainer and he like puts him up a couple weight classes and turns him into a champ and then he wins from this new weight class and then he immediately gets into a car accident and breaks his neck and the rest of the film is him struggling to become the fighter that he was before the car accident if you let me do the fusion i can guarantee you'll be able to walk again i need to be able to fight again me and not fuse in my neck with this severe of an injury. One bump, one fall, Ah! any kind of movement, and your spinal cord could sever. It wasn't supposed to go like this. Yeah, I know. We're not done here, Vinny. There's a whole world outside the ring. I'm getting pretty sick of people talking about me like I'm dead. Aaron Eckhart is unrecognizable. I figured out like who I think he was doing. Cause I don't think Aaron Eckhart is a good enough actor that he like comes up with his own sort of performances. I think he can only emulate the work of others. Okay. So I think in this one, he was doing like a fat balding Eric from entourage. <laughs> okay. Like his name of the character he's talking to is literally Vinny. But then there's also Ted Levine, the serial killer from, uh, Silence of the Lambs and the detective, the hardened, cynical detective from the hit USA uh, original series, Monk. Oh, you mean where he plays Captain Leland Stottlemyre? Yes, there it is. (laughs) Yeah, he plays uh, promoter Lou Duva. Yeah. And Siren Hines, he can can do anything. Yeah. This movie has a great cast that, if you ask me, is utterly wasted on the material. I don't agree with you, but go ahead. I know you, I know you don't. Um, so yeah, I mean, is there anything else we have to... So I think the other say? interesting thing I was considering when going into this film is it's from the director of uh, Boiler Room. Yeah, Ben which Younger. Is, which is maybe like one of the better like con artist Wall Street movies ever made. That's true. We've watched Boiler Room together, you and I. Have we ever done it on a pod? No. We should. We should do Wall Street, like, scam movies. Oh, it's in the dock, baby. It's been there forever. Nice. My line on this movie is that it's a, you know, it's a primer. It's a great example on how to to sell and cast a movie. But it's just no way to tell a story. I think this is a movie that thinks we have an all-star cast um, that's going to be really into this sort of, like, gritty 20th century like east coast fighter overcomes something big but there's almost no characterization of Vinny pazienza outside of the first well he's scene like the, and a yeah half. he's the protagonist of the film and he's like the least interesting character yeah which 
I'm going to argue you can pull off if you're David O. Russell, but not if you're Ben Younger. Um, right, or not if you're Miles Teller. And then you have all these actors that are great and they're costumed great and they're playing these, you know, stock parts, yes, right. but stock parts that should have a lot of meat on the bone. Right. Um, but the re- just no effort is put into outlining the relationships. So I think you have this movie that my line on it is it's like this movie that's trained for hours and hours and hours on the heavy bag. And then all of a sudden it's like thrown in for live rounds and it's just like, oh, I don't know how to adjust or like why I'm doing this. Right. I think that the big, the fundamental flaw in this movie that maybe keeps it from being like great, if not like pretty good, is that it sort of mistakes the who the protagonist of the film should be. And then it relies too much on Miles Teller, who is not like the next Robert De Niro. Um, Even though he looks like him and is trying to be him in this movie. Right. I think the more interesting story, frankly, is that uh, Aaron Eckhart is the most like well-drawn sort of character here. And it's this guy like you can have his his thing can be like, oh, I like worked with Mike Tyson. And then now I'm down to my luck is my alcohol problem. And here's this new kid who I can like train and like bring back up and then they can get through this thing together. And that makes a a film that looks more like million dollar baby, Mm. which is like, again, sort of now trite, but I think is the better way to go. And they're trying that now. There was that Robert De Niro movie from last year, like hands of stone. Oh yeah. The Roberto Duran. Right. Where it's like more about the trainer than the actual boxer. Yeah. But then you're getting into like weirder fare of like, what can Clint Eastwood still do, you know, or yeah. what can Robert De Niro still do? Right. He was so good in trouble with the curve. Let's put him in something <laughs> else now. That was for yeah. Clint Eastwood. Uh, Robert De Niro certainly was not in that movie. Right, right. And if you know anything about Vinnie Paz, yes, this movie tries to get away with characterizing Vinnie Paz based on that very evocative, extremely fun scene where everyone's waiting for him at the press conference and he's you know, draped in saran wrap trying to lose that last half right. pound. And there's a slow motion walk where his girlfriend like falls and he doesn't stop, which is like a weird choice. Um, but it should be this movie about this guy who's like flamboyant and larger than life and is sort of like challenged. His big personality and his superficiality are challenged by what he has to go through. Right. But he sort of instantly becomes just like a mumbling Rocky knockoff, which I think is unforgivable in terms of like character drawing i think and then the movie tries to wrap it up with that sort of epilogue where he's talking to that reporter and it's just like he his his like biggest misconception or the biggest misconception about boxing is it's not that simple like he believes it is like you if you want something or even life is simple if you want something you just do it Uh and that's like an insane thesis for a movie (laughs) Well, that's this movie thinks a boxing movie is as simple as making it a weightlifting movie. He doesn't even box for like the longest time, right? As he recovers from this neck injury, and I'll grant you some of those scenes are harrowing, where sure. he ta- taps the halo against the bar is some of the like most spine tingling scenes I've seen in a while. But, but I think like we are in an age of boxing film where you need to have it be more like Million Dollar Baby, where she like doesn't ever get out of that hospital bed. That could be. Yeah. You know, like that's more, that's the more interesting human drama. I think we're, cause like you said, like boxing is a subculture now and to root yeah. for this particular movie. I think that the flaw of this movie, even in a more macro sense is that it calls for an enthusiasm for boxing that I don't think American society currently has. I totally agree. This movie did not break the $10 million mark and it was marketed the, but Jesus was marketed out of this movie. But I'm saying if like this story, like if they had fictionalized it and made it about like another sport, like it probably would have done a lot better, but the brutality of boxing is just not in line with like how the zeitgeist feels about entertainment currently. Sure. I know what you're saying. And I think it's missing some very key things. Like if you want to do a boxing movie that leans heavy into the actual combat, you have to do, you have to give the audience a head, body, head 
thing to latch onto or a pop pop bang as Paul Giamatti says in Cinderella Man. Right. We don't have any idea why or how Vinnie Paz wins fights. In fact, his confrontation with Roberto Duran I thought was so poorly directed it seemed in the movie like Roberto Duran won the fight. Right. How did Vinnie Paz get that decision? Right. Yeah, it didn't look that close. Which is, it's a movie. You have to make sure that it looks like Vinnie Paz won. But at the same time, I kind of liked how mature this movie was in the way that it sort of didn't give a shit like what I believed about it. You know, like, and even the the car crash scene is not like stupid, like Hollywood car crash. It's like a very simple shot. Yeah. And then you've got some good makeup and they clearly have like a professional team there with a great cast who like knows how to show up to work every day and get something done. And that I think makes it a well-made film. I think Aaron Eckhart, this is like a, the performance of a career. It is really good. It's like a the, really good performance. You know, so I think I'm going to have to just say like for the Eckhart factor, like the humbling that that man does like yeah. before that camera is like pretty, it's pretty great. So I thought I was definitely captivated and just by like, just, you know, the way that the movie was made, it just seemed neat. It seemed clean. You know, everything sort of needed hit all the beats it needed to. It felt like a very tidy movie. And for that, I will say it's good, bad. Respectfully, I think it's bad, bad. I think like a that full bad, bad or like a soft bad, bad. Like a full bad, you, bad, given, man. Okay. How do you how do you do one of these movies about a working class guy from a East Coast town and not let me get to know Providence at all? How do you do one of these movies where it seems like his relationship with his girlfriend is going to be important and then she just disappears? How do you do right. one of these movies? Well, he's got this rotating cast of women. Right. And it, but none of the ones that come after matter, nor does it really tell us anything important about him. No, he's just, just like th- a very simple man with a very simple dream, as the movie confesses. And I think there's yeah. like an interesting wink there that like should be like just slightly commended. But slightly, its ambitions are so far like bigger than its achievements. Yeah, that yeah, I think it's maybe I almost think it's bad good. I don't know. Because yeah. I feel a- like it's the kind of movie that you're constantly saying, like, but it was such an entertaining failure. I didn't find it entertaining. I think I'm going to have to change to, to bad, bad good. good. Should we go to the fighter? I knew we'd have to end here. We're getting yeah. to the late rounds here. I'm, I'm losing my legs. <laughs> <laughs> the championship rounds? You're just going to brawl with me now? Oh, yeah. We're just brawling. And this one actually did like get nominated for some Oscars. It did, yeah. I mean, if you didn't, if you were not a I Heart Huckabee's or Three Kings head, this movie put David O. Russell on the map for you uh, when it came out in 2010. Um, and it's the true story of Irish Mickey Wad, uh, played by. Please don't Mark affect Paul. an Irish accent. That wasn't Irish. Or like a whatever Boston Lowell you accent you're doing. It's hard okay. to tell from this end of the uh, <laughs> of the, the video call. It'll sound so much cleaner on my audio. You'll love it. I'll love it. <laughs> I'll replay it over and over again. <laughs> um, yeah. So again, Mickey Ward uh, is a journeyman. I didn't do it that time. Is a journeyman uh, fighter in the '90s and early 2000s. He's a uh, like a junior welterweight. Um, Played here by Mark Wahlberg, and he has this, God, 10, 11-person family. Um, he's got like nine. It was, he's one of nine. Uh, yeah, and they're all, yeah, he's got like eight sisters, but then the matriarch of the family, Melissa Leo, is uh, the matriarch and his promoter and handler and manager. And then his eldest brother, Dick Eklund, played by Christian Bale, had like a moment in the late 70s where, and this is true, he fought Sugar Ray Leonard and got beat, but he quote unquote knocked him down. Looks a lot like a slip. It kind of becomes a thing later in the movie. Um, But his brother is a crack addict, we quickly find out, who is sort of taking the limelight away from Mickey. Mickey is basically like this 
ignored person in his own story and in his own family. And this is about him reckoning with that right. while still trying to keep a career going in this, in this town. Yeah, I think that's a good synopsis. Can I tell you there's nothing that I love more than a crack addict bail? He's a, I mean, do you want to start there? Yeah, I te- this, is, I text- this, is, this is one of the optimal bails. I texted you, I think we forget like what a quiet kind of bad last like three or four years Christian Bale has had. Because when you watch him in this movie, I think this is, I'll come out and say, I think this is the best Christian Bale performance and the best Amy Adams performance. Uh, of either of their careers. That is a bold, I, I, I might give it to Amy Adams cause it's a really good performance and she's really good at that. Like tough girl from the streets. Kind she's of got thing. a lot to play, but who but, also went to college? Well, she dropped out cause she drank too much. College. College. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't know that. What I'll do you think's better? American psycho. I might say, uh, the machinist. The machinist? Come on. Have you seen The Machinist? <laughs> Not in a long time. The Machinist is pretty unbelievable. Um, oh, are you sure it's not Reign of Fire? His turn is Quinn Abercrombie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I'm positive. Um, anyway, I think the- I'm going to give it to... I think American Psycho... Like, the Machinist is like an unbelievable physical performance. And this isn't? No, this is too, but it's like, it's definitely the fusion of both like Patrick Bateman, like someone who's totally obsessed with like this kind of subculture and crack addict insomnia machinist guy. And you fuse them together for like, maybe it is the optimal bail. Maybe it's like, this is the, the Venn diagram of bail doing a physical performance and bail doing like an emotionally nuanced performance. Yeah. Fine. Maybe this is the best bail. So the curious on that on those two notes, the curious thing about this movie and what I think you can both indict it for and praise it for is just how many amazing things are happening around this traditional story that is ignored for so much of the movie. Wahlberg's like this kind of like a black hole in the middle of this. Right. Not a black well, hole because he's not sucking it to him. He's just like a dead presence. Yeah. Well, this is what I I like and dislike about David O. Russell as a director is that he's so comfortable with genre and he like gets what's tired and boring about certain genre pictures. But I don't think he's smart to know that, but I don't think he's clever enough to come up with solutions to the problems. I think he comes up with weird like suggestions. It comes up with great deviations. Yeah, he comes up with, like, weird... He's flipping the wrong pieces. And what I think he does wrong here is, like, whose movie is this? Is it Wahlberg's or Bale's? Like, who's the... I guess at the end, the protagonist is Mark Wahlberg, and the antagonist is Christian Bale slash his family. Yeah. But, like, through the middle of the movie, you're right. There's, like, this absence of Wahlberg that you're like, oh, it's about Christian Bale, and, like, he's a crackhead. Yeah, I I think the movie knows that at the beginning. I think he definitely knows because the movie almost starts with in this sort of conceit that HBO is making a documentary about Dick Eklund. It like starts away from Mickey Ward. Right. And like the story is being it's like a comment on even how the story is being told. And I think that that awareness can carry it to a certain level. But then, like I said earlier, I still think the scene in this movie is the reconciliation between Bale and Adams on the porch. Right. Which is still sort of just like, okay, so the really like ambitious part of the movie can end so Mickey can just kind of have his moment. Dickie's a junk bag. Hey. He's a junk bag. Fuck you, Sean. Oh, fuck you. I'm eight months sober. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure you're going to need something for something now that you have. Oh, my back. Oh, my back. Fuck you always picking on me for. Fuck you. Huh? And what about O'Keefe? We're in the same boat. And one day at a fucking time, right, O'Keefe? You and me. But uh, what? It's all right for him to be here? Why am I the fucking problem? I'm his blood. I'm his family. I'm the one fighting, okay? Not you, not you, and not you. Like, it's just Mm -hmm. so many things. It's like stranger than fiction. Yeah, it it is. I mean, I think, and that's the good part of it, is that if you know anything about Mickey Ward, he had this monumentous, all-time great trilogy of fights in the early 2000s with this guy Arturo Gatti which 99% of people would look at Mickey Ward's life and be like, well, we have to make it about this like 
all-time trio of fights. And David Ross right. is like, no, 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 no. This guy's home life seems so interesting. I'm going to make two hours of creative nonfiction that never even touches on what would be the first line of this guy's obituary. <laughs> interesting. Yeah, what's yeah. the biggest... So we don't even see the biggest fight of his career? Yeah, the biggest three. We never see him. The fights for which he is famous are not... Interesting. Are 10 years later. But yeah, that's, that's O'Russell, man. He's just... He's just following his instincts, which I, when he follows them kind of thoughtlessly, I actually think that's when he's sort of brilliant. And when he's doing something like Silver Linings or Joy, where he's sort of like pushing this story up a hill and trying to force it into boxes, that's when I'm like, you're too messy to be like the engine behind this story. But when he's truly embracing the mess, as he does best, I think, in American Hustle, and for a lot of this movie, I think he's... He's so entertaining. Wait, don't you hate American Hustle? And his American instincts Hustle? are so good. No, I love American Hustle. I don't think that David O. Russell has made like a truly great movie. I don't think that Silver Linings Playbook that. is that is that good. I think of the, I don't either. He's like grouped in with these people like Paul Thomas Anderson, or like you know Sofia Coppola, or like something like that. These like modern like auteurs, but I don't think he is. I think he makes weird movies. I think he is this generation's, um, let's look. I think Sofia Coppola is a fairly good analog, but he doesn't he does have, not have his... anywhere close to command of Paul Thomas Anderson. What he lacks is command. Right. Or, yeah. He has vision, but no command. And so he has these incredible moments like the pillow sliding under the in the crack house when they're like reenacting the 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 Sugar Ray fight for the millionth time oh, yeah. or just like having the good sense to what does it mean to show the ring girl falling during the Mike Mungin fight that just seemed like it was something that happened but David O Russell's like ah yes the atmosphere of this like total fuck up is captured in this accidental thing that happens I think his small instincts are great I don't think he has larger command I think he's just better with like comedy. Like yeah. he's better with like insert genre hyphen comedy. You mm-hmm. know, when it's like a con comedy with like American Hustle. Like American Hustle's like his Ocean's Eleven. Like that's easy shit to make. Yeah. And like, you know, Three Kings is like a war comedy. Yeah. Is this not kind of like a boxing comedy for long portions of it though? Once, the fam- no. the once you establish so that he's funny. like doing, once you establish he's doing crack, it's like, this is not a comedy. You can't do crack mm, okay. in a comedy. Like seriously do crack. He's good at like organizing a lot of people in a room. And letting is, their, letting them go. I mean, right. the, which is the no symbiosis small between, yeah, the symbiosis between Leo and Bale when they are like using Wahlberg. Right. And like that scene where Bale shows up and he's high and the way that they sort of like attack him and then be like, we're just trying to do what's best for you. Like we're the victims here is just like such an amazing sort of like found feeling of abuse right. that this movie gets. The boxing's pretty boring and it's right. frankly like not shot that well. I mean, if I can show my my sort of like technical pickiness, it's there are ways to make it look like contact happened without letting Liev Shriver get hit in the face like Philippe and Liev decided to do. But this is just people swinging at the elbows and the gloves. It doesn't look very good. I didn't, I don't know that I noticed it being like, maybe, I mean, you're, you know what it actually looks like more than I do. Um, I didn't notice that so much. What I did actually like about the filmmaking here is that the fights themselves are shot on like HBO video. Yeah. Did you like that? I kind of did like that. And then like you, every maybe third or fourth shot, you'll get 35 millimeter. I think it's sort of an ingenious way to film, you know, like Ron Howard does it with like the camera that's clearly like spinning around kind of thing, like in the middle of the ring. Like this is just David O. Russell's choice. And I think that like, if he had sort of taken that outlook in a narrative level, that sort of level of invention and like, you know, like you were saying, just like let it, be more playful or something. I think it would be Mm -hmm. a better movie. Um, But I thought that was good. I really like that like opening like car on the, or camera on the back of a car that like drives down the street really fast shot. Yeah. Like the reverse Marty kind of. 
Yeah. Like a, a loud zoom out. A loud zoom out. Yeah. Which is what bleed for. I mean, it doesn't take much to be like, and this is Lowell, and this is the town. Right. And he got that for sure. Because well, the thing that I think that it, it gets away with because of the video shooting is the like almost like ostentatious level of commentary that you can hear like as they're fighting from the like the ringside guys, mm-hmm. which was just like, oh, he's definitely he's going to put a hand, put his hands up like he's going to like just like just these hyperbolic statements of like, oh, he's going to have to go to the hospital after this. Like, kind of thing. <laughs> oh, you know, he did it, which is interesting. And I think like if right. you just shoot it in 35, that it's like that would be kind of weird and cheap. But because right. it, you're basically watching this the way people were watching it on HBO, it's like part you're watching this like fake reality or this fake authenticity that like yeah. it has. Does that and make it's sense? Cool to, yeah, for sure. I think the best part for me is that it's cool to see the side characters in the fake authenticity filter. Right. Like it's weird. It's like, Oh, I know more about this person, but the film is now asking me to look at them like I'm just watching TV on a Saturday night. Right. Like that's a pretty cool psychological effect. I think the And they're like giving you like the simplest version of the commentator, like, oh, there's his there's his mother who's been his manager. Like it's like, well, that's not the simplest. <laughs> that's the, I mean, that's good the point. absolute simplest way to describe their relationship. <laughs> but point. it's yeah. so much more. It's like, oh, and there's his brother, and he like fought Sugar Ray Robinson. It's like, well, yeah, but like so much more shit. <laughs> Which is just sort of, yeah, I like that that it has that trick up its sleeve. So how are you going to rate this, buddy? I think this is a pretty clear good good for me. I don't think it's a great movie. Um, I think it has some pretty glaring flaws. And like Mark while, Wahlberg. Well, yes. While I, while I sort of admire the like adjacent to Mickey Ward designs it has, like when you have the scene where... Wahlberg is so outclassed going, this is my fight, not yours, not yours, and not yours. <laughs> is so, like, anemic compared to the Bale Adams confrontation where she's like, first thing, you didn't fucking knock Sugar Ray down. He tripped. Like, that scene is so electric, and then yeah. to like, juxtapose that with Wahlberg, ugh, like, that's a pretty big flaw. Um, yeah. So it's I not great, waiting- but good, good for me. What I was waiting, waiting for? for the scene where he's like in the dressing room by himself and he pulls out his dick and says like, I'm a, bi- a great big shining star. <laughs> well, he has the scene where he looks at his fake belly. I felt it was oh, almost yeah. like a callback to that sort of. Yeah, I, I was waiting. I'm a really for... big shining star. Right. I'm a fat shining star. Right. I'm kind of a bloated shining star. <laughs> so what uh, do you rate it? I think this movie is flawed. But not unforgivably so. So I will give it a soft good good. Yeah. I think that's fine. So what, what do you think about the state of biographical boxing pictures? Well, I think the thing that has to be mentioned, if we're not already too late, is just like all of these movies are sort of dug up white working class stories from real life. And there are plenty of stories of black and Latino fighters who have more harrowing, more interesting stories than this. And I think if Hollywood's going to insist on continuing down this road, we have to stop the 20th century bait a little bit to, I mean, Rocky in and of itself. I I, I can't remember who said this. uh, It might've been AO Scott in the, uh, the intro to better living through criticism where he's like, I love that movie. And I don't think it's racist, but I think there's no denying it's based on a racial fantasy about uh, the Italian stallion beating a Muhammad Ali type. Right. Um, So I just think that these, they're in the vanity we discussed in the subject matter. There is a, there is a baiting to whiteness here that I think we could probably stop now. What do you think? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think that's why people really rallied around a movie like Creed is like, oh, finally, yeah. like breathing some life and some diversity, which just means like fresh story into this tired old genre. Totally. You know, it doesn't take much. It just takes Michael B. Jordan, who's great. And Ryan Coogler, who has a vision and Tessa Thompson, who's great. And then you're doing like awesome fan fiction. 
Like right. you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Right. Like if you're going to make these movies, like they have certain beats and you can acknowledge that, but like doing it in a way that is representative of like something other than like prestige white auteur directors, like directing 20 something trying to break out male white male stars. Yes. Like that's also just like a tired trope, I think of the genre. So boxing is the sport that invented the racist concept of the great white hope. And apparently we're still stuck on that cinematically. Well, buddy, thanks for, thanks for doing something that was, that's so deep in my personal wheelhouse and outside of yours. But, uh, I feel like we did pretty good. Let me know how you want to pay me back at some point. You know, publishing movies, movies about the Yankees. Bicycle uh, pictures. Movies about sweaters over dress shirts. <laughs> Bicycle pictures is not in your wheelhouse. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Didn't I, pitch you, didn't I pitch you bicycle pictures at one point? It was like... Uh, the program, Premium Rush, and something uh, else. The, the one from the 80s with... Uh, a young, um, young everybody, um, breaking away. Okay. There you go. Um, buddy, this has been such a pleasure. I, and I look forward to talking to you soon and I look forward to hearing from all of our, uh, avid fans. Where can they get in touch with us? Chance? Well, sometimes I know you get so avid, you forget where you can get in touch with us. So you can find our podcast, be real on Apple podcasts, which is what they're calling iTunes now, by the way. Um, what? Yeah, it's called Apple Podcast. Don't you dare call it iTunes. Um, it's on Stitcher. It's on uh, SoundCloud is where we host. Mostly, we'd love you to check out BeRealPodcast.com. You can find us uh, at BeRealPod on Twitter and Facebook. And thanks again to Philippe Filardo. We talked to a filmmaker. And as always, I'm most excited to have talked to the guy I'm looking at, Noah Ballard. Oh, I'm excited that we talked, buddy. We haven't talked in a while. It's been great. I'll talk to you later, pal. See you soon. In the clearing stands a boxer and a fighter by his trained and he carries the reminders of every glove that laid him down or cut him till he cried out in his anger and his shame. I am